evening, Weymouth. I have to stop myself from saying good morning here. Good evening. Welcome to our Christmas Eve candlelight service. We're so glad you guys have joined us tonight as we uh, celebrate Christmas together, as we rejoice and remember the birth of Christ. Uh, as we get started in worship tonight, we'll uh, just take a few moments. It's our pattern as a church just to quiet our hearts by just taking a few moments here of, of silent prayer and reflection. So please bow and pray with me. Prophet Isaiah declares, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his, his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of tramping of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So tonight we come together in the darkness of evening to celebrate this light in the darkness, this, this child who was born to be the light of the world. And so as we do so, we'll, we'll spend some time together singing a few songs. We'll have a, a meditation from God's word, and then we'll, we'll end our time together lighting some candles to, to remember the peace, the joy, the light that Christ has brought into the world. So if you haven't already, at the welcome table in the back, there's some candles here that you can grab that we'll use at the end of the service. Uh, as well, if, if there's anything you hear tonight, anything that's shared, anything um, that you have questions about, about the, the news about Jesus, about uh, what we look at together in his word, about the church, or about this season, I'd, I'd love to talk with you. We'd love to welcome you after the service in our community room. Um, so please uh, be sure to take advantage of that. And, and as we continue on in, in our worship together, please bow and pray with me. Well, Father, we thank you for this good news, for this announcement, this promise from Isaiah that was fulfilled in the birth of Christ. That light has come into our darkness. And it's come in, in the birth of your son to the child who was born to us, the son who was given for us, our Savior. So help us now to rejoice in this light, to rest in the hope and the peace that he brings. To remind one another through the words we sing, through the candles we light, through the conversations we share, that no matter how dark things get out in our world or in our own hearts, that there is light that has come into the world, has come into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so we praise you for this light, the light of your Son, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I invite you to stand and sing with us. Oh, come, all you unfaithful, come. 
Thank you for the blessing that is your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. As we approach this season of, of giving and of, and of gifts, Lord, uh, I pray that we wouldn't lose sight of the ultimate gift that is your son, Jesus Christ, that you freely gave to us um, to pay the price for our sins, Lord. I just pray that, uh, that that would be on our hearts and on our minds this evening and, and as we go into this, uh, this Christmas season. Um, Lord, I just pray that we would be we would be freely showing your love to those around us, uh, family, friends, um, and strangers alike, Lord. I pray that you'd be with Pastor Chris who comes to deliver your word to us this evening. Um, and just that you would speak through him. Lord, I pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. And as you're seated, I invite you to, to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Tonight we'll be looking together at Matthew 1, verses uh, 18 to 25, uh, and uh, we'll be spending some time uh, meditating on this passage together. Typically our pattern as a church is to uh, exposit scripture, right, which means to, to go through a book of the Bible, to go through a passage of the Bible to see how the, the structure and meaning of that passage, how it applies to us today. Uh, tonight we're going to do something slightly different. We're not going to, uh, I'm not going to give a full exposition here of Matthew 1, 18 uh, to 25, uh, but we're going to focus in on just uh, one aspect of this passage and, and spend some time meditating on that aspect together. And that is the, the names of Jesus uh, that are given to him in Matthew's gospel here, in Matthew's account of his birth. So look with me at Matthew 1, uh, verses 18 to 25. Follow along as I read. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Father, as we come to your word now tonight, help us to, to meditate on it. Help us to reflect on the, the good news proclaimed in the names of Christ, the announcement of his name Jesus, the announcement that Emmanuel has come, that God is with us to save us. Lord, make these things clear in our hearts. Help them to consider them, to meditate on them, to share them with others for your glory and for our good. 
We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I have never uh, made any kind of claim to be a gifted athlete, right? You probably, those of you who, you know, walked in and took one look at me and probably clocked that in the first 10 seconds you saw me, right? Um, if you look at me, you don't think, hey, that guy looks like he uh, played baseball in college, right? But I did play Little League, and my greatest athletic achievement happened when I was eight years old, right? Which is, you know, I peaked early. Uh, it was great. It happened when I was eight years old. I was playing for a youth baseball team called the Timber Rattlers, which I guess is some kind of snake or something. I never really understood what it was or why that was our team name, uh, but that was our name. And uh, it was basically uh, me and a bunch of kids from my neighborhood who were really, really good at baseball. So our team was pretty good, actually. We were actually having a really good season, and we actually got to the end of the season, we made the playoffs. And one game in the playoffs, we were playing another team called the Raptors, which is far far cooler name than the Timber Rattlers, I thought. Um, but we were playing them, and we were losing to them. You know, we were losing by several runs, and it was getting to the end of the game. And I went up to bat, which normally I was not very good at. I was not a good hitter. Uh, but by some miracle that night, I managed to hit a double. We had a couple runners on base, and I hit a double and, and drove a couple runs in. And what started then, it was like the bottom of the seventh or the eighth inning, it started a rally where we hit a bunch of runs, we came back from behind, and we ended up winning the game. And so after they came, my coach was kind of in amazement. Uh, they, they gathered the team around, and they decided to give me the game ball. It's the only time in my life that that's ever happened. Um, I've, ne I've never had any trophies. I got this one game ball. You can still go to my parents' house and find it on the mantle in, like, this place of honor um, because it was, like, the only thing I ever gave them in my athletic career. Um, right? So I, I won the game ball, and, but they didn't just give me the game ball. They also gave me a nickname. They gave me a nickname for the rest of the season, and that nickname was the Dragon Slayer because I had hit the double, right? That started the rally that led us to defeat the raptors, which are not dragons, they're dinosaurs. Um, but there's eight, you know, it was eight-year-old Little League, so my coaches called me the Dragon Slayer. It was the coolest nickname I've ever gotten, way better than Durbin Turban or something like that, right? Because my last name is Durbin. That's the only word that rhymes with Durbin, um, right? So the Dragon Slayer, that was a nickname that I got because of that rare, <laughs> rare moment of athletic achievement. And nicknames are like that. Often if you had friends in college or if you had people you knew that did something funny or, or crazy, often they, they got a nickname that came out of that. They got a name that was associated with something that they did or something goofy or, or silly about them or about their character. And so we have some understanding of this idea that names can hold meaning for us, that names can reflect something about us or something that we've done. And, and what's true in silly ways with nicknames was also true in really, really important ways in the Bible. Because in the Bible, when we read about people's names, particularly when people are, are given a name in Scripture or given a name change in Scripture, that tells us something significant about that person, about maybe something that they've done or something that they're going to do, but most of all, about something that God has promised for that person or promised to do with that person. Think about God changing Abram's name to Abraham in the book of Genesis or Jesus changing Simon's name to Peter in the New Testament. Names in the Bible are significant. They reflect something about God's promise in regards to that person. And this is no less true. It's, it's ultimately true for Christ, for Jesus. And we see that here in Matthew's Gospel in the opening chapter where he gives us the account of Jesus' birth. He, he records for us two names that are given to Jesus at his birth. And these two names are significant. They're not the only names that Jesus is given in the Bible, but they're two important ones. And what we're going to do with our time together is spend some time meditating on these names, thinking about what they mean, and then reflecting in prayer 
on, on what it means for us personally, on how these names are significant, how the work that Christ has come to do is significant for us personally. And the two names that, that Matthew records for us is, first, of course, the name Jesus. The name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. In, in Hebrew, it's, it's written as Yeshua. It's the same as the, the word Joshua. It means God saves. The other name or the title that Jesus is given here in Matthew chapter 1 is the name Emmanuel, which means God with us, which means God who has come to dwell with us. And so as we meditate on these two names, as we reflect on these two names, these titles given to Jesus at his birth, what we see, what we learn is the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was born to be with us to save us. He's the Son of God who was born to be with us to save us. Let's take a few moments together and reflect on this first name given here, the name Jesus, which means God saves. Because what's going on in this chapter is really striking. Matthew gives us the account of how Jesus' birth came about. He tells us, of course, about Mary, who was a virgin, who became pregnant, who had the Holy Spirit come upon her in, in response to the promise of God that she had become pregnant, that she would bear a son. And Mary became pregnant, and now Mary was engaged to a guy named Joseph. A guy named Joseph, and they had never been together. And so when Mary became pregnant, that was a surprise to Joseph. It was a surprise to him. And, and normally in that society, Joseph would have had a lot of power to shame Mary, to even have her stoned. But instead, being a humble, just man, Joseph decides he's going to divorce Mary in secret. He's going to end their engagement secretly to save her from public shame. But then, Mary, or then Joseph is comforted, and the angel comes to him in, in a dream and comforts him and tells him not to be afraid. The angel says to him and says, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. For he will save his people from their sins. And so this angel, as he comes to Joseph, tells him not just to marry Joseph or marry Mary, not just the, the reason, not just the fact that Jesus is being born, she, he tells him the reason that Jesus is being born. The fact that the very name they're meant to give him, Jesus, is a reflection of Jesus' purpose in coming into the world. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the fact that's revealed to us in the birth and the name of Jesus, that he's come to do something. He's come to rescue. He's come to save. And there's three implications of this that I want us to, to meditate, to reflect on tonight. There's three implications of this truth, that Jesus was born into the world to save people from their sins. And the first is simply this. We need a savior. We need a savior. Jesus was born into the world to accomplish something that was necessary. Jesus' birth wasn't a superfluous accident. It wasn't some magic trick, some way God was just showing us his love. No, Jesus was born into the world because there was a problem that needed to be addressed. And that problem is that, that God is holy, that God is perfect, that God is good. He is our holy creator and sustainer. But we are far from perfect. We are full of darkness and sin and rebellion and idolatry. And because God is just and holy, we can't stand in his perfect presence. Because God is just and holy, he has to punish sin. He has to destroy evil. And so there's a problem. 
because we're full of evil. We're full of darkness. And so we deserve his wrath. We deserve his judgment. We deserve to be destroyed. And yet in the birth of Christ, we hear this announcement that Jesus has been born to save his people from their sins. He was born into the world to deal with this problem, to rescue us from the just judgment, the just wrath of God that we deserve. And he did that because he loves us, because he wasn't content to leave us in our darkness and death and destruction, but to come and do something about it to come and bring light into darkness, to come to bring rescue to those lost and dead in their sins. And so the fact that Jesus was born into the world, the fact that light has come into the darkness, tells us that there was darkness, that there was a problem that needed to be solved, that we need a Savior because of our sin. But secondly, the fact that Jesus was born into the world to save his people from their sins, it also tells us that we can't save ourselves. That yes, we need a savior. Yes, we have a problem. Yes, our sin separates us from God. But that there is nothing we can do to rescue ourselves. We can't make up for our sins with church attendance. We can't make up for our rebellion or our wrongdoing by posting the right things online or making the right friends or making enough money at work or voting the right way politically or watching the right movies and TV shows. Our actions, our morality, our attempts at uh, self-righteousness, our attendance at church or at Bible studies or at family functions, none of these things, while maybe valuable in and of themselves, none of these things are enough to wipe our slate clean, to free us from the judgment that we deserve. Because none of us can be perfect. None of us can do enough to make ourselves perfect, to raise ourselves to God's righteous, holy standard. And that's why Christ had to come into the world, because there was no other option. There's no other way to God. There's no other way to earn ourselves to God through obedience or through righteousness. Because even the good things we do are tainted with selfishness and pride and idolatry. Even our attempts to do good things are often involved placing ourselves in the, in the center, making ourselves the idol, the center of our own lives, the savior of our own reality. We can't save ourselves. We can never do enough because of the, the awful things we've done, but also because the good things that we do are, are tainted and selfish and prideful. And so we need a Savior, but we can never be that Savior. And we can't find that Savior in another person. Our spouse, our kids, our friends, our political party, our school, our job, our church, our pastor. None of those people, none of those things can be our Savior because none of those things can get rid of our sin. Oftentimes those things exacerbate our sin and our selfishness and our rebellion. We can't, we can't work up salvation within our own hearts. We can't look to another earthly person, another fallen sinner to be that salvation. That's an unfair burden to place on them that will crush them. But the good news of Christmas is that Jesus was born into the world to save sinners. That we need a Savior and we can't be that Savior, but then thirdly, that God was glad to send a Savior, that God was glad to send his Son to be our Savior. That's the good news of Christmas. That's the good news of what's happening in Matthew chapter 1, that this Savior has been born into the world. This is why the angel tells Joseph, do not fear. Do not fear to marry Mary, because what God is doing in her, what he is growing in her, the, the purposes he has for her, for this baby, it's the greatest thing that ever happened, that ever could happen. 
That even in our darkness, even in our sin, God is sending a light into the world in a way that no one else could do. He's sending a Savior into the world who can do what none of us can do for ourselves. This is the announcement at the heart of Christmas. This is the gift, the, the grace that we celebrate, even by giving gifts to one another, if we're doing that with the right attitude. That God didn't begrudgingly send his son into the world. He didn't exhaust every other option before sending his son into the world. No, he was glad to send his son into the world. Ephesians 1 tells us that this was the plan of God from before the foundations of the earth. This was the plan that the Father and the Son and the triune God had put together to rescue fallen sinners, to redeem fallen humanity. God the Father was glad to send his Son into the world. Jesus was glad to come into the world, to take on human flesh, to be born in Bethlehem, to go to the cross to be our Savior. Because we have a problem that needs to be fixed. Because we have sin that needs to be dealt with. And yet God wasn't content to destroy us with our sin. Instead, he gladly, willingly, lovingly, graciously sent his son into the world to rescue us from our sins. And so we need a savior. We can't be that savior. But God was glad to send that savior. And he'd worked out that plan in, in a miraculous way through, through a humble virgin who comes from Nazareth through a man who finds out that his fiancée is pregnant and yet wants to divorce her quietly. God is working in miraculous and human ways to bring about this salvation. And so I want to give us tonight is just a few moments because this season is so busy, because we're all caught up in different family functions and plans and, and visits and responsibilities. We so often forget to take the time to meditate on this truth that we need a savior we can't be that savior but in Christ God has sent us this savior that he sent us Jesus to save his people from our sins and so I want to give us all just a few moments to meditate when I say meditate I don't mean that kind of uh, just you know mythical or mysterious kind of you know cross your legs and, and hold out your hands and do something magical no just to think about these words Meditate on Scripture just to reflect on the words of Scripture, to reflect on the name of Jesus, that God saves, that he is the Savior who has come into the world to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Because I don't, I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know what your year has looked like, what your week has looked like, what your life looks like. I don't know if you've ever thought about these things before, if you've ever been to a service like this before. And so I'm going to give you just a few moments, just in quiet reflection in your own heart or with a neighbor, to just pray. Either pray silently or pray with a neighbor to thank God, to ask him to help you understand your need for a Savior, to ask him to lead you to trust in the Savior if you haven't before, or to ask you to help you rest in this perfect Savior who's done for you what you can never do for yourself. So take a few moments in quiet reflection, either with yourself or with a partner, in prayer, and then we'll come back and look at the next name together.
thank you for this news, this announcement in the birth of Christ that, um, that even though there is darkness within us and without us, even though we need a Savior, we can never be that Savior, that you sent your Son to be that Savior for us, to go to the cross in our place, to rise again, to secure our redemption, to secure our salvation, that you sent your Son Jesus to come and save his people from our sins. So Lord, we ask that you'll press that truth, you'll press that news down into our hearts, you'll lead us to trust Christ, to rest on Christ, to not look to salvation anywhere else, but to Christ alone. And you'll help us to share this salvation with others. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I appreciate you guys doing that. I know silence can be awkward, it can be weird, but silence is also one of the greatest tools we have when it comes to uh, reflecting, meditating on God's word, praying to God. And I know I many of us, I know why I don't uh, give myself enough time just in life to just be silent before the Lord, be silent in response to God's word. So I appreciate you doing that with me now, and we'll uh, do that again in a few moments here as we turn and look at the second name in Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus has given, the name Emmanuel. Matthew writes in verse 22, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. With us. Now, when I was a freshman in high school, we had a foreign exchange student uh, come and stay with us for a year. We had a student from Italy. From Italy, his name was Emilio, which is a pretty pretty solid Italian name. He was a pretty interesting guy. He came and lived with us for a year, and it was this really strange experience, because one day that we were a family of four, and then, you know, one day we went to the school, we picked up this kid, and he was just there for a year. He was just living with us. He was dwelling with us for that year. It was my freshman year of high school, which is a very interesting time to have a, a guy from Italy living with you. Um, but it was, it was a good year. It was a, it was a good experience, and uh, it just was this striking picture of all of a sudden you have somebody dwelling with you who wasn't dwelling with you before. Maybe if you've uh, become a parent, if you've had that experience of having a new child come into your family or having someone in your family come and stay with you for a while, you know how that can radically shift things. It can radically change things when someone new comes to dwell with you. And in the birth of Christ, as his birth is announced and described in Matthew's gospel, Matthew does something really striking. He cites from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 7 and 8, he cites this promise from Isaiah that uh, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew here, he draws on this promise from the Old Testament that one day the Messiah, the promised king, would come. This, this divine being would come. God himself would come to dwell with his people, and it would change everything. That when Emmanuel comes, when Emmanuel comes, when God comes to dwell with his people, it's going to bring about the kingdom of God. It's going to bring about this radical transformation, this radical restoration that all of God's people have been waiting for. Because it's one thing when another person comes to dwell in your house, but when God himself comes to dwell with you, when he comes to dwell in our world, when he comes to dwell in our hearts, it changes everything. It changes everything for us. And so we see this here in the birth of Christ, this great announcement that's given in all four Gospels that's proclaimed by the angels to, to shepherds, to, to, to Joseph, to, to Mary, to the whole world, to wise men, that here is the moment the entire creation has been waiting for, that God himself has come to dwell with us. 
This is the promise of Matthew 1 when the angel speaks to Joseph and says these things. Matthew records thus for us that this is all in fulfillment of this promise. That this change, this restoration, this kingdom is coming. It's coming in the birth of this child. It's coming in the birth of Christ. Jesus is given this title, Emmanuel. Because he's not just any other baby that's born to a couple. He's not just another person who's come to dwell with us. He is God himself. That's the teaching of Scripture that Jesus wasn't just a, another human person, not just another human teacher or a miracle worker or, or wise person. Jesus is God himself, fully God and fully man, the Son of God who took on flesh to dwell with us, who came from heaven and earth, who humbled himself and took on the form of a servant who was found in human flesh, who came to dwell with us. And this is significant. This is significant. And there's, there's, there's three, again, three particular things I want us to reflect on. These aren't all the implications of this truth of the incarnation, uh, but these are three things that I think can help us tonight as we think about why we celebrate Christmas and what we're celebrating in Christmas. Three implications of the truth that Jesus is the Son of God who came to be with us, who came to dwell with us. And the first implication is this, that God did not wait for us to make our way back to him. That even though we are full of sin, even though we need a savior, even though we are full of darkness and rebellion, God did not wait for us to clean ourselves up. He didn't wait for us to go to church enough times, to take the ordinances enough times, or read the Bible enough so that we were good enough for him. No, he came to us while we were still in darkness. Romans 5 tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took the initiative. He's like that friend that is always the friend who calls, who makes the phone call, who sends the text, who initiates the, the meetup, the lunch, the, the coffee date. He took the initiative. He didn't wait for us to make our way back to him because we can't make our way back to him. As we've seen, we can't be our own savior. There's nothing we can do to bridge that gulf between sinners like us and the holy God. But God didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. No, he came himself to us. He sent prophets like Isaiah to predict and promise his coming and that he himself came in the flesh. That's how gracious he is, that he would take that initiative. That's the message at the heart of Christianity, at the heart of Christmas, that there is a God who not only created us, but a God who took the initiative to come to us, to rescue us. And that leads us to the second implication here. Not only did God not wait for us to come back to him, but also our sin was not strong enough to keep God from coming to us. Our sin was not strong enough, not great enough to keep God from coming to us in the person of his son. All of our failure, all of our rebellion, all of our idolatry, all the things we're ashamed of, all of the mistakes we've made, all the darkness that hide in the recesses of our hearts, all the things we like to keep in the quiet closets of our soul, these things were not enough to keep him from coming to us. There was no sin so dark. There was no shame so deep. There's no mistake that we could make that is stronger than the grace of God. We know that because Christ was born, because Emmanuel has come. He has come to dwell with us, to take on human flesh, to be with us. Not because we deserve it, not because we made ourselves good enough, but because that's how gracious, that's how faithful, that's how loving he is that he wants to rescue sinners. So even our sin, even our failure, even our death was not 
enough to keep him from us. Ephesians 2 tells us that we weren't just bad in our sin. We weren't just shameful in our sin. We weren't just messed up in our sin. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. But God, being rich in mercy, he came to make us alive in Christ. He took the initiative. Not even our death, not even our sin is strong enough to keep him from coming to us. And then thirdly, Christ came to dwell with us to do something for us. Christ didn't just come to dwell with us to hang out, right? He didn't just come for a year like my friend Emilio did to hang out for a year and learn about our culture and learn about our world and then to go back home. No, Christ came to carry out a mission. He came to accomplish something for us. He came to be with us to do something for us. He didn't wait for us to make our way back to him. Our sin wasn't enough to keep us from him. In fact, he took the initiative. He came from heaven to earth and he came to do something for us. He came and took on human flesh so that he could be our perfect substitute. He came and was completely human, fully God and fully man, so that he could go to the cross. And on the cross, he could die in our place because he fully satisfied the wrath of God. He fully bore in his own human body the judgment, the penalty that we humans deserve for our sins. Jesus came to be with us, to be our ultimate substitute. Not just to give us a good, comfortable life, not just to make us feel good about ourselves a couple times a year. No, he came to die in our place because that's what we deserve. That's how he carries out the salvation that he came to bring by dying as our substitute. But then he didn't just stay dead. Jesus, scripture tells us, rose again. He rose again in victory. He came back to life so that Jesus is not just our perfect substitute, He's also our perfect representative. As you think about representatives and in local government or state government, there are these figures that that represent a whole group of people. They're figures with whom a whole group of people are identified. They vote on their behalf. They take actions on their behalf. And because Jesus is risen, because he died and rose again, he is able to be our perfect representative before God. His perfect work, his perfect life, his perfect righteousness is able to be counted to us because he is our representative. If you trust in Jesus, you are in him. You find yourself in him. You are accepted in him. His work is your work. His life is your life. His death is your death. And so we are acceptable to God because Jesus died as our perfect substitute and he rose again as our perfect representative before God. And all of this is possible because he came to dwell with us. Because he did not let our sin keep us away from him. Because he did not wait for us to make ourselves good enough. He came to dwell with us to do something for us. He is the son of God who was born to be with us, to save us. Let's take a few moments now and think about your own heart. Think about your own life. Think about all the ways you think about God about church? Do you feel like your own sins, your own mistakes, your own shame is too great for God to handle? Did you feel weird even walking into this room because you were worried that you were too unclean, you were too messed up to be around other Christians or other people who worship God? But guess what? We're not here because we're perfect. We're not here because we made ourselves good enough. We're here because we are are dirty, rotten sinners who've been made clean, who've been made righteous in Christ because he was born, because he died, because he rose again. So take a few moments and and pray and meditate and think about the fact 
that God didn't wait for you to make yourself good enough, that your sin is not strong enough to keep you from his grace, that he sent his son to dwell with us to do something for us. If you've never thought about that, if you've never reflected on that or prayed about that, take the time to do that now. Let this Christmas Eve be the moment where you give your sin, you give your shame up to God, you receive his grace and faith in Christ. Let this be a moment where you rest in him, you, you, you find freedom and liberty from all that shame that's holding you back, remembering that his grace, his mercy is far greater than any of our sin. And we know that because he was born into the world as Emmanuel, God with us to save us. So take a few moments again in quiet prayer and reflection to respond to God, to meditate on these things. And then I'll close our time in God's word together. another 30 seconds to wrap up your prayers and thoughts.
thank you for the grace, the gift you have given us in your Son and Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, we thank you that even though we are so full of sin and idolatry and rebellion that you didn't wait for us to make our way back to you, that you, uh, our sin was not enough to keep you from us, to keep you from sending your Son to rescue us, that you sent him to dwell with us, to do something for us, to be our rescuer, to be our perfect substitute, our perfect representative. Lord, so as we uh, celebrate the birth of your son together tonight and tomorrow and this week with family and with friends, I press into our hearts the joy and the wonder of your grace, of your peace, of your love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That you would send your son to come in such a humble way to rescue such prideful sinners. Lord, free us from our shame, free us from our our failures, free us from all our, uh, our small thoughts of your heart for us. Show us anew how great your love is for us in Christ, even just in his name. Jesus, God saves, Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, we thank you for him. We thank you for your mercy and your grace, which is greater than our sin. We thank you now for the chance we have to rejoice in this news, to praise you together as a church family. So help us to do so now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So I hope you see that tonight, this Christmas, as you're going through the celebration, as you're spending time with with family and friends, if I can leave you with one question, it's this. What name are you trusting in? What name are you trusting in? Are you trusting in the name you're trying to make for yourself? The name that your family has made? The name that uh, your kids are either helping or, or hurting? Is it, is it the name you are trying to make or is it the name of Christ? The name of Jesus, the Son of God, who was born to be with us, to rescue us. The light who has come into our darkness. And so to celebrate that together now, we're going to close with one final song with the singing of Silent Night. And to do this, we're going to, uh, we're going to use candles. We're going to lower the lights. I'm going to light these Advent candles. But also we're going to try something, which I think we did two years ago, which I think will be a, a cool way of doing this is Instead of staying in our seats to do this, we're actually going to go form a semicircle around these back walls here in this room, and we'll all hold our candles. This will also give you a chance to grab a candle if you didn't yet, and uh, we're going to hold our candles. We'll start on one end, we'll light it, and then we'll see the light go all the way around the room. So as the lights go down, as the, the band begins to play, maybe AJ, you want to just do a little, uh, little ditty while we get uh, organized here. So we'll stand up, we'll stand up, and we'll go. We'll find a spot around the walls of this room. We did this on the year before last year. Yeah, and then we'll sing Silent Night together.
Emmanuel. I hope that this Christmas is a reminder to all of us of the light that has come into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. To Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel. So thank you for being here. I invite you to stick around and fellowship with one another and welcome one another with a Merry Christmas. But let us go with this benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Merry Christmas. Go in peace. Merry Christmas.